Hi, sister. We are set to record today, but you've got a sick kid. And so we're not going to record today, but you had a great idea. So one of our most beloved episodes this year has been the one where I couldn't make it to you and we did voice notes um, back and forth to each other. And for whatever reason, when I say most beloved, (laughs) what I mean is like four people this week mentioned it to me. So I think it was a sign um, that we should do another one. So let's do it for this. Let's, we were going to talk about Wakanda forever. Um, And both of us have gone to see it and we have a tradition, um, a one movie tradition of reviewing Wakanda movies, (laughs) Black Panther. Um, And this one was, there's a lot happening with this one. So I'm excited to talk with you about it. I'm excited to hear what you thought about it. And I wonder if we should do, like I'm structurally, I feel like maybe first we can talk about how they did it, sort of honoring Chadwick Boseman's legacy, because that like devastated and floored me. Um, But yeah, I'd love to talk about how they did it that, and then what else was awesome about the movie and then things that we feel critical about um, or things that we wish for the Wakanda universe because that's kind of how I'm holding it. Um, So first of all, yeah. So let me know if that premise sounds good to you. And then if it does, we can dive right in. Oh, I have to not do. Okay, so I will not do the Wakanda accent at any point during this voice note recording. I promise. (laughs) Hi, sister. I'm sending you a message because I'm feeling so impatient because I went to see the movie again. I went to see the movie again. And, um, you know, I know that you are a full-time mother right now. Um, but I also feel like I really want to hear what you think about it. So, um, yeah, a little bit high. So I'm not going to send a long message right now, but I do want to say that going to see it again made me feel like it was an even better movie than I thought the first time. And I was really impressed the first time, although I had some strong critiques the first time, but the second time watching it, I felt less critical, actually. I feel like I saw more happening in the script and more happening in like what they're trying to pull off with the story. Um, but once again, like the way, okay, I haven't said anything specific yet. So spoiler alert, we're about to talk in depth about Wakanda forever. And we're going to spoil the shit out of it if you have not seen it yet. So just pause on this episode if you plan to see it and want to see it without our entire commentary first. Okay, that's over. So the way the movie intros with Chadwick inside the letters for Marvel, um, seeing his face at the opening and then again at the closing, to me was such an incredible, beautiful way to represent the idea that he was blessing this film and that they were trying to bless him and trying to honor him with each of the choices that they made. And 
I feel like they did a good job of keeping even the aspect of him that's like not sure what to do. They brought that in, that 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 like human doubt, that human struggle for what is the right action. It feels like that's a core part of the Black Panther story. And I felt like they honored Chadwick in that way as well. And then the little baby, <laughs> oh my God. I had to stop people leaving. I was like, don't leave yet. There's something you have to see. That little baby with those dimples as the Chadwick baby, here for it in every way. That was so cute. And this time, going back to see it, I realized that we actually see him in the first scene in Haiti when they go, like when we first go see um, Lupita, who looks so thick in this movie. My God, delish. And also Winston Duke, Mbaku. So much thighs. I Maybe we need to have a whole thing on just thighs because Namor's thighs and M'Baku's thighs. I just I feel like I could be in a thigh braid. All right, I should pause here. I just had to get that all <laughs> off my chest. Hi, listeners. This is Autumn. Just a friendly reminder that it's never too late to sign up to be a patron of our show. You can go to patreon.com slash end of the world show and take a look at those tiers. Take a look at the merch associated with each of those tiers. Know that whatever tier you choose, in addition to whatever merch you get with that tier, you also get access to these exclusive episodes that Adrian and I make called Ask Us Anything episodes where we collect questions just from patrons and then answer them just for patrons. So it's like more burps, more laughs, more guffaws, plus some wisdom. It's really worth it and it means a lot to us and it helps keep this show going. So thanks for your consideration. We love you. All right, back to the show. Yo, Namor's thighs. What was that? (laughs) He came out of the water and I was like, what's that? (laughs) I'm not even like, I don't think of myself as like a thigh person. I'm not like against thighs, but like I don't usually notice thighs, but I, I, those thighs were noticeable. Okay, I'm back in my bed actually, but now I have coffee. I don't know if you can hear this. This is me like putting my blankets back over my body. Cause I was like, wait a minute, I could do this. I could, I could send you a message where I start sharing my thoughts about the movie, but I could do it from my bed under my blankets with my coffee. I'm a genius. It's still Sunday, you know? Um, and I have notes. So check, name more size. Okay. I was just like, let me just, I don't know if you can hear Mittens the cat, but he's decided to join us and he's being talkative. Um, I was thinking maybe, in that I think that the, oh yeah, you had, the order you had suggested was first talking about the way that they honored Chadwick Boseman 
and then moving on to talking about um, all the things we loved before we talk get into um, our critiques. Why are you so loud, Kat? Um, <laughs> and oh yeah, so with the honoring of Chadwick Boseman, I have to say, I mean, I agree with you. I think the whole movie is about him, right? It's like the whole movie is actually about the loss of him. It's also about the characters in the story, but it's really about, and in a way that feels to me very reflective of deep grief, right? The way that when you are in deep grief over someone that you love, everything that's happening is about that grief and everything that's happening is about your love for that person. Like nothing that happens in your life for a period of time, right? Nothing that happens in your life can really be disconnected from the way that grief is shaping you. Um, everything connects back to your love for the person. And so to me, that it, it felt not only like a beautiful honoring of him, but also a very realistic portrayal of what would happen in these people's lives as a result of losing him unexpectedly. Um, and yeah, the, the, the depth of um, depiction of ritual start to finish also felt very important to me. It felt like one of those ways where, um, you know how like these kinds of big cultural works can show us not just what we don't have, but what we could have, <laughs> you know? So I, I went to see the movie with Finn and Siobhan and Mairead. And um, when it opens with the funeral scene, um, I mean, obviously the first scene is like the flashback to Shuri trying to recreate the heart-shaped herb and a synthetic version of it because she believes that that's going to save her brother from this mysterious illness. and you know, she's like, she's running around her lab. She's freaking out. She's getting increasingly um, more afraid as she continues trying and failing to create the herb. She sends all of her staff away. She's like communicating with the AI. The AI keeps telling her that it's like not working. And then finally her mother comes in and says, he's passed, he's joined the ancestors. And then we cut to this gorgeous funeral scene and which all of the people who are in attendance or like the, the community that's in attendance of the funeral is dancing and singing and drumming. And one of my kids turned to me and was like, why is everyone dancing? And I was like, because this is in this tradition, this is how you would celebrate someone's life, right? That, that funerals are not just funerals, they're also celebrations. And it's a way of sending someone off, right? So I like whisper this to her. But it's not just that moment. It's also the moment like later where Shuri's mother tries to like support her to go ahead and like burn the funeral clothes because that's a part of the process and Shuri can't do it. She doesn't do it until the very end of the film. And in that moment at the end of the film where she's just like sitting with, she's just sitting with her memories of her brother. And you can really feel that sense of like, I, that, that, I have internalized this. This is inside of me now. And that's why it's okay for me to like burn the clothes. It was just, yeah, it was, all of it was so fucking, 
like it it's not even just that it was beautiful it was also that it was really recognizable and you know what i mean it was like recognizable as a correct thing it was like yes this is how it goes and this is how it's supposed to go um speaking of the end of the movie and the presence of tiny toussaint i have to say this isn't about me but i fucking called it from the very beginning of the movie like the moment that we see nakia for the first time i was like <laughs> like even and then like even by the end of the movie before the credit scene happens i'm just like where is the fucking child like i know that there is a child and why are they acting like there's not one and then of course the baby shows up in the end credit scene so i felt very gratified that my um intuition is fully intact um and actually that leads me to my only real critique of the film which is there is literally no way that auntie doesn't know about Tucson. Shuri is the auntie. She's literally the auntie of this child. <laughs> there is no way that she's not one of the people who's in on the fact that this child exists. That was the only thing in the whole film. And we can get into the like what what we can get into this later, like what some of the actual critiques are of the movie that other people have but for me that was the yeah because i'm i'm familiar with and aware of the fact that there's like all these critiques going around but like for me the only thing in the movie that i was like this doesn't make any sense is like how would shooty not know and a friend of mine was like well remember they related to in the last movie they really related to shooty as a child and so you know, this is maybe also part of her being seen as a grown adult to be like let in on this secret. And I was like, oh no, I don't know. I just, it doesn't feel believable to me that she didn't know about the kid. Um, okay, so let me see some other things about the movie. Ooh. There were so many strong specific choices that were made in this film. Okoye's fall as general her falling to the queen's grief, basically. Um, and then getting to return as, and being teed up as like another different superhero was like very cool. Um, loved the loved the fact that Killmonger is the relative that Shorty goes and fucking meets when she takes the heart-shaped herb. Like what? I loved, that was such a good surprise. Cause as she was taking the heart-shaped herb, I'm like, Literally, who is going to meet her? When I was thinking it was going to be her mom, because that was the person who most recently died. The fact that it was Killmonger, I was like, y'all have got me all twisted up inside. Um, <laughs> and then I really also appreciated the like, you know how when sometimes a narrative device will show up in a film and it'll be really obvious, but you also like appreciate the obviousness of it? The whole subplot around the young black scientist who's like a college student and then like creates this machine that is being used to find vibranium. And so like Shuri and Okoye have to go find the scientist before the white people do, or no, before Namor finds her and to protect her from Namor. And then like, she comes into the story, she's young, she's smart. She's like, 
resistant, doesn't want to go with them, but then she does all the things. And then like Shuri and Okoye, like, and then Nakia later, like come and save her. Um, and she's like in Wakanda, in the lab. And it's like, oh yeah, I see what's happening narratively here. It's like, we need a new young scientist in the lab in order for Shuri to like walk into her destiny, which is to put on the suit. And it's very obvious. I like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like comforting in its obviousness. And then she, you know, she doesn't end up staying, but it's still like we need we need to know that there's like these other brilliant scientists out there who are like who are fulfilling that role that Shuri felt. Uh, or that Shuri filled in the first film of the young, brilliant scientist, um, which is also very like, you know, I think aligned with um, just sort of general, it's like one of the ways that Wakanda Forever and Black Panther are very much still Marvel films, right? It's like there are these tropes that show up in all of the Marvel films, you know, um and the the brilliant scientist <laughs> in the lab who also maybe has powers is like one of the tropes um so i like it i like it i like those kind of comforting things especially in like franchise movies where you're like but i'm expecting to see this where is it <laughs> girl i'm so excited about your unpopular opinions um I made notes while I was listening. I also had left my bed and then I came running back to it because I was like, right, that sounds so much better. I don't have coffee because, you know, I can't really fuck with caffeine. But I also love that blankets might have a sound. Woo! Um, <laughs> my sheet just got caught around my foot in a way that definitely felt like there was a person in my bed pulling it. Anyway, um... Yeah, so the celebration and grief, I loved all those touches from the very beginning of the movie through to the very end. Um, seeing Chadwick's face, seeing the mural of his face, seeing the way the entire community comes out and being dressed in white and the dancing. and But I also loved, like, the being inside of what feels like Shuri's perspective or Creed Ramonda's perspective where like you can see all of this happening, but there's kind of a, it's kind of like you're in a time warp or something, you know, like grief that felt so present. Like, oh, I can see all these people doing the right action, doing the ceremonies, doing the ritual, but I'm outside of it because I'm still in the rage part of my grief. And I, really appreciated that presence throughout the movie that it was like it's not just that you grieve and you cry and you miss the person but it actually like unmoors your sense of self and your capacity to make good decisions like i felt like the movie was watching people make one unnecessarily dangerous decision at a time after another and just being like why would you do that that's no let's not go there but then from inside of the experience of grief <laughs> absolutely you have a shorter fuse and a 
and um, you have a real sense like that moment where Karina Ramanda is like, all of my family is gone. Like, or later when, you know, when Shuri is just so in her rage and she is like, I, I want to burn the world. Like, where you just feel justified in being like, the things that have brought me joy are gone and why should I keep participating in this horrific experiment that is causing me so much pain, right? So I thought that part was all really brilliant and it harkened back like the Killmonger surprise was so delightful. I mean, first of all, just <laughs> a man in a tight sweater dress. I don't even know what he was wearing, but it looked like a, oh, it fit him so, so well. And I, I was like, I know we're in the ancestral realm, so probably I'm not supposed to be thinking about that, but I'm just like, muscles. Um, it was delicious. Um, and then I also loved that it was like, oh, the person that you most align with in the ancestral realm right now is the person who's also driven by their grief to bad decision-making. So yeah, all of that felt really on point to me. And I also love the unstoppable genius scientist. And I love that it was a little young black girl. I love that she was just like this little <laughs> spark, you know, she felt like such a little spark, such a little good attitude, good Shuri apprentice. And I really like that. She was like, am I being recruited? Like what's happening here? Um, I totally agree with you that there's no way the auntie wouldn't be brought into it. Although, um, like I could understand why they wanted it to be a surprise, you know, but I was like, I can't imagine in this family with that being, you know, those three being the only ones left that they would keep that in that way. So, um, all right, I'm going to send this and then I'm going to get into all the other things I loved. Yeah, again, about the Toussaint being a secret from Shuri. Like, I'm still in disagreement with that choice. Like, I feel like they could have still made it a surprise without it being a surprise to Shuri. That was the mistake to me. It was like, she could still have gone to Haiti and like been meeting up with Nakia and maybe she's not surprised by the presence of the child. Maybe like a different choice could have been that she, something, something in her being unable to see him, like in her grief, maybe she was like not willing to go and visit the child. And then part of her like, part of the denouement is that she then goes and sees the child finally, right? But she knows about the child all along. We don't know that she knows about the child all along, but then we see this as part of the denouement that like, oh, she, she did know about the child. She couldn't bring herself to see the child. And now she's ready to see the child. On the other hand, it felt very black family to me. <laughs> so like the one place where I'm like, oh, well maybe is like, cause you know, I know it's like, it, you know, things are just like, sometimes we just don't talk about things until now it's time to talk about them. So that also felt, it felt very like black American family to me that that went down the way that it did. Yeah, girl, we love a good secret, <laughs> you know? And if it felt like, yeah, the reason I kept, the only reason I was like the secrecy of it is 
is tied to maturity uh, because, you know, it's a dangerous position <laughs> to be the future king of that place. Um, so yeah, maybe this allows them to live relatively normal life, a relatively normal life. Um, I turned on my bed heater. I call it my bed heater. It's a mattress pad that heats up <laughs> and I can feel it getting warmer and it's just making me very happy. Um, so all the other things I loved, I just want to say like a love note to this film. First and foremost, I really loved that there was this whole Mayan indigenous um, storyline, getting to meet this whole other people, the fact that they live um, under the Atlantic and just the, the, yeah, the possibility of that, of being like, oh, you know, I think of the Atlantic as the sacred space where our ancestors, Black ancestors are. And um, I'll get to, <laughs> I was like, and I think they missed an opportunity there. But I, I loved this other opportunity of just being like, yes. And like, there's a lot of people throughout history who, you know, if they could escape into the water, if they could transform and escape into the water. What a blessing that would be. Um, and I mean, as a mer person, <laughs> the entire underwater world, just getting to go down there and be down there and the way they filmed it. So that's like, you really feel like these motherfuckers are under some water and they're doing really well. Um, you know, they seem to have an abundant, beautiful life down there. And yeah, I mean, and just thinking through like the long journey like they would have had to be down there in the dark <laughs> for a while um, <clears throat> before they found the vibranium sun and all these other things. So there's just a real beauty to that, to being like, what what can we um, curate in the dark? I I loved seeing like, you know, that is the, they love doing that thing for the familiarity, like their little moves of like, Shuri greeting the scientist or other little things that were just like, oh, direct throwback, direct throwback, direct nostalgia. Like they give you kind of, I think of Marvel movies that way where they're just giving you instant nostalgia. Um, all these big franchises, I guess, do that now. <laughs> it's like Star Wars is like, here's the same show, exactly same storyline. We know you like it and here it is again. Um, so I felt some of that <laughs> with this where it's like, you know, um, we're having a struggle for power internally and we're dealing with issues, but along the way here is all your favorite people in little moments. And I thought the world was beautiful. Getting to see more of Wakanda was really lovely um, and like what their lives look like on a daily basis. Um, I really loved, oh, one of my favorite moments in this one actually was when they had um, the favorite colonizer actually just say very explicitly, like, just let's all not forget how completely fucked up it would be if the U.S. were the ones who had sole control over vibranium and just having, you know, the CIA boss or whatever, just nod and be like, I dream of that. Right. And just like, I appreciated that as a <laughs> political honesty moment buried inside of this work because it's like that's absolutely the truth like you know I'm definitely in the camp that's still like they should have never told anybody <laughs> and like you know I don't think that 
Um, I don't think that was the best way to wield the power. Um, but since people do know, I'm like, yeah, like having to protect it now against all these folks who are trying to be shady and take over, um, which they absolutely would be doing. So I liked all that um, a lot. I loved Shuri's outfits and I generally loved all the outfits. Queen Ramonda's structured gowns with the like, looked like sort of bone casing up on top. Those were incredible. Her headdresses were outstanding. I loved her hair, her little soft white gray hair. Um, and basically Angela Bassett's back as its own style icon <laughs> thing. I was, I watched her and I was like, you know how Tina Turner has her legs insured? I'm like, Angela Bassett needs to have her back insured and just her mouth and like, basically she's incredible. <laughs> um, I liked what felt like the maturation of Mbaku. Um, like he was one of the, the characters that I felt came the furthest um, in terms of like his own growth as a person and, and how he was showing up. I was a little confused at the end by the like scene where Mbaku shows up to the <laughs> challenging for leadership thing um, and sure he wasn't there. So I didn't know what that was setting up. I was a little confused. I'm like, so are you, did, is he challenging her in her absence? Does that mean that she's leaving him to be in charge? And then she's in Haiti. And um, I totally agree with you. I think they could have done, done it that way. Of just like, she could have just been like, y'all chill. Let me go burn this thing. And then the kid comes running out and she's like, you know, just says, hey, <laughs> nibbling, what's up? <laughs> you know? Um, so, Yeah. I'm sure that there's some explanation of why. Um, all right, so I'm excited to get into my critique. Okay, so here is my critique. Um, which again, the first time I saw it, I was like, no, as soon as Namor and Shuri as soon as it started being like beef, I was like, y'all, can you please just fucking communicate? Like this is about to be the tightest ass alliance of all time. And you don't need to go down the beef path to get there. <laughs> like, it just felt like, erg. But, um, and then I felt like just having so much death. Like I understand that there was a need for the sort of African and indigenous uh, Mayan lines to have this kind of contention with each other. Like we are both really powerful nations. We have been in secret for a long time. Um, so in secret that like, <laughs> I mean, it is deep because you have the whole Marvel universe with so many potential people to fight. And then it's like, why are these people fighting against each other? Like. There just needs to be alliance between them and they need to understand each other. Um, and I understood there being some power contention or just like, you know, they're all used to being able to make ultimatums and you could really feel that, that it was like trying to negotiate with someone who is a God amongst his people um, and has lived for as long as he has lived. Um, you know, I kept being, I, <laughs> I really had a strong feeling of like, he's not wrong. Like, He's not wrong, but, you know, I, I think the thread of Killmonger that was present in him, that's like world domination versus like 
actually being allies to keep ourselves and our people safe. Um, it's, you know, it just feels like there's other options, y'all. <laughs> there are other options of being able to ally with each other, keep each other safe and like navigate. So I think that was the biggest piece was feeling like, ugh, like you literally have France breaking in, <laughs> trying to steal shit. That's who to go to war with. Like you literally have the U.S., you know, um, tracking and surveilling and all of it, looking for vibranium, funding it. Like that's who to go to war with. So yeah, I was just frustrated that it took them Queen Ramonda's death and all these other people on both sides dying before they could get to that surrender. And I was very frustrated the first movie. Like, I was like, come on, y'all, no. Like, the colonizers were right there and y'all could strike a really serious blow of like, you can't take this, you can't come over. So what I, what, going back now the second time to see the film, I felt like, what I had missed was was what shows up like when she's got the spear to his neck to um, when Shuri's got the spear to Namor's neck and she's about to take him out and what she sees in him is that he is a person a being shaped by the grief of his mother who he lost as a child so he's a being who is shaped by that grief and has been shaped by that for 400 plus years um in the same way that now she is moving in this action shaped by the grief of her mother and her brother. So I really appreciated that, that they're like, yeah, of course, like these should be allies. And of course that's what we want. And that's how we're gonna be moving, coming out of this film and out into the next part of the series. But first we have to contend with how our grief turns us against the wrong people, turns us against those closest to us, rather than turning us against those who actually maybe deserve it. <sighs> so yeah, that was my main thing though. It's just like, uh, you know, especially um, as someone who has watched all the Marvel movies, there's a part of me that's like, I want there to be um, a real turning and facing like the colonial, the colonial power hungry nations and holding them accountable. Um, and again, not in the killmonger way, not in the like burn the whole world and that's the only way to do it. But I do think there is a way to model something else, model a different relationship. And then like, what does it look like to actually hold people accountable with the unstoppable science, um, with the, you know, remarkable resource of vibranium. So now I do always want these movies to solve problems that we haven't solved. <laughs> real life so mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm really curious to hear what your take is on this critique sister god this is so fun yeah first i just want to say the mbaku moment at the end of him like sort of comedically showing up at the ceremony to say he's challenging for power. Yes, definitely confusing. Definitely feels like a setup for something that's gonna happen in the following movie. Um, and, and I feel like there was a lot in the way that like um, the, the centerpiece of a triptych is speaking in both directions. I feel like, ah, this is definitely conceived as the second of three films, right? So 
it's speaking to the first film and it's also speaking to the next film. Like there was so much about the way the plot unfolded in Wakanda Forever that was very much like, ah, I see you're like, you're resolving some things from the first film, you're setting, you're doing a lot of development and setup with characters um, where the things that a lot of what's being set up is not going to like fully fruit or be resolved until the third film, including the whole plot line with Namor, right? Like, because there's also a cliffhanger, not a cliffhanger, but there's also a moment with him at the end of the film where you can really feel that he has something else planned. Um, so I think, yeah, in that, in that regard, I think that that's often why like the second movie in a trilogy feels less satisfying because there's all of this stuff that's happening in the film that's actually not about the film itself, but about what came before and what's going to come. Um, so, and this film. Um, I feel like there there is this critique of the film, which is like, why didn't, why wasn't the natural outcome of this meeting of these two incredible technologically advanced communities coming together in this context, why wasn't the outcome for them to then turn and confront the actual um, great evil of colonization, genocide and enslavement? And, and it makes total sense to me that people feel that way. But for me, the way the story actually unfolds feels so much more rooted in our reality, which is that like, they are still, no matter how technologically advanced they are, both of these communities are still like fundamentally shaped by colonization, genocide and enslavement, right? So it's like Namor, is you know, his very being is shaped by grief, but not just the grief of his mother and losing her when he's a child, but also the grief of like, as a child, having to be in hiding because of genocide, because of enslavement. And, and that, that, that shaping, it's like, it's the shaping of, going into hiding, which means that there's like a powder keg at the heart of the community, right? There's this like, I mean, it's so interesting and cool to me that like the indigenous Mayan community in the story like lives under deep, deep, deep underwater under all of this pressure, right? <laughs> it's like, aha, metaphors on metaphors on metaphors. But it's like that that the pressurization that happens inside of colonization is part of what influences the way everyone responds to the conditions. And so to me, it's like so much of the, the film, both the first film and the second film is like trying to answer this question, how do we make decisions with integrity under circumstances that lack integrity? like colonization, right? It's like a fundamentally violent, the, the circumstances, the conditions are fundamentally violent. And yet we 
are tasked with this effort of still remaining in our integrity. And that's what you see um, T'Challa having to deal with, particularly in his relationship with Killmonger. That's what you see, that's what the question that Killmonger is dealing with, right? And now it's the question that Namor and Shuri are dealing with which then produces what to me feels like this beautiful transformative justice moment in the final battle sequence of the film, right? Where Shuri has bested Namor in battle. She has the spear to his neck, as you described so beautifully, but she doesn't kill Namor and she doesn't kill him because it's her mother's voice that comes to her. I mean, it's like, yeah, she has that moment where she, she doesn't kill him because she knows where he comes from, right? So there's this beautiful lesson there of like, you know, how can you kill someone that you truly know, <laughs> right? Or how can you, like, if you truly, if you're truly known and you truly know another person, if you really understand where they come from, it's so much harder to do permanent violence, right? But still, even still, it's like, it's her, her mother's voice that comes to her that says, show him who you are, which is such an interesting line to have come through, <laughs> right? Like, I think, I think that's how the line goes. I'm not, I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but that's a really interesting like thought for her to have in that moment where he's killed her mother. And yet it's her mother's voice that's like coming through her saying like, show him who you are in this moment, even here, show him who you are. And, and then she makes this incredible choice, not only to not kill him, but to still insist on forming an alliance, even though he is responsible for her mother's death. And it's like a deeply abolitionist, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like wild, it's like wild. And, and to me, that's, that's, that's like this kind of thing that I love in a movie like this, where it's sort of saying, Here's what this would actually look like. Are you, and then, and then for the audience, then we're forced to deal with all of the discomfort that arises from a vision of what an actual like transformative justice or abolitionist moment could be, where there, where there's no catharsis via violence. Um, there's this other thing I noticed about Namor that I'm curious to know whether you felt this too. Namor felt like very Doro to me. For our listeners, if you're not familiar with Octavia Butler's work, which you should be by now, but if you're not familiar with or you haven't read Wild Seed, Doro is the immortal kind of godlike figure in Octavia Butler's Wild Seed who survives by changing bodies. And has been alive for like probably thousands of years, hundreds to thousands of years, vis-a-vis -vis this process of just taking, like basically, you know, it seems it's like he sort of, his soul moves into another person's body, their soul life force is consumed and he takes their body. And, and so because he's been alive for all of these years, he has this deep wisdom and he has a vision of like what he's trying to create by going around the world and collecting all of these special power people. 
Um, but he's also, his life is fundamentally shaped by cruelty. So he's wise, but also very cruel. And then the main character in Wild Seed that we meet, who's also, you know, lived for hundreds of years because she's a shapeshifter, um, falls in love with him and um, hijinks ensue. But anyway, so I, I felt like Namor was very much giving Doro vibes. And I wondered if you picked up on that too. Yeah, so for me, so for me, what was interesting is I felt like the the way that the way that they handled the colonizers was really interesting to me that it was sort of like side plot that the the white folks the americans the french are relegated to this sort of side plot both in the last movie and in this one and the main um intensity that we're dealing with is between the folks of color and i felt that that was interesting on a couple of levels because it's like yeah what do uh, we do have to deal with ourselves, right? We have to deal with ourselves. We have to deal with the way that colonization, genocide and enslavement has shaped us first and foremost, before we can even imagine a world in which we are allying together, building power and truly ending this, ending this, you know, thousands of years of colonization that we've all been inside of. Um, we, we actually have to deal with ourselves and that requires actually decentering the white gaze, decentering, you know, the white narrative. Because like imagine, imagine a Wakanda forever in which the, the primary antagonist is a white person, you know, that because the, then the treatment of that would require us to become invested in that antagonist, right? So there's this interesting thing happening, I think, with the filmmaking where they're saying, we're not going to create a white antagonist character that you would then feel invested in. That's not what we're up to. So that's just interesting to me, and I like it. Um, but I do think I do think that they're setting it up. Like I think they're setting up a, a and and I think one of the fun functions of that is that then the 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 white characters that do show up end up being very much comic relief, like you know Julia Louise Dreyfus. <laughs> CIA role of like, yeah, her moment where she's like, I dream about that every day, and just really coming in with the like big veep energy, <laughs> just like so good. Um, and that's it's and that was the same in the first movie too, right? Where you had like the primarily those the CIA agent is like comic relief and white ally person, but like not central to the storyline at all. Um, and. So that was cool. Um, but I do think that they're setting up something that will come in the third film that will likely involve us then having finally a white character who is an antagonist whose storyline we get invested in in some way. And I'm curious to see how they handle that and like what is the preparation. <laughs> um, but meantime, I felt like that again, that handling the sort of sidelining of the colonizers in the story created some really interesting moments, right? Like this moment where you have the siren mermaid people singing this song that like literally forces the colonizers to like walk off their research platform and drown. 
you have the French mercenaries breaking into the community center and then like the Dora Milaje are like waiting for them there. And they just take them the fuck out and they're fucking cackling the entire time. And it's just, it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying. And part of what makes it satisfying is that you're not invested in any of the antagonists. So like, it doesn't matter that they're being killed off. <laughs> Right. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's very, very interesting to me. It's very, very interesting to me, this handling um, and the ways that the handling of it means that we have to stay with, we have to stay with the discomfort of who we are under these conditions instead of getting the um, catharsis of getting to like focus on the colonizers. Um, yeah, so that's my, that's my thoughts about the critique that I feel like, yeah, I hear, I hear it. And also this feels so real to me. It feels, and, or it feels kind of like the medicine that we need now, right now. Okay. I'm curious to know what you think about what I think. Ooh, sister, I really love your note. Um... (laughs) Wow. So first of all, I'm curious to know what you think about what I think. (laughs) I think we should do a t-shirt of that. Like that's, isn't that what a good conversation is? (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm very excited to share what I think about what you think. And then I'm curious to hear what you think about uh, what I think. Um, So first, yeah, definitely. This feels like a trilogy, triptych trilogy of movies and, um, you know, working on this, my novella trilogy, I have really felt the struggle of what do you share when um, and how much mystery do you leave in place? And like, yeah, just how do you hook people and give people data that will come up later? Which, you know, I trust myself to do that. But like with Marvel movies, sometimes they're like, here's something and you're like, yeah, great. That'll be answered soon. And then it never is. So I really hope, yeah, that some of this stuff gets clearer. And I'm also really excited. I mean, I I like a world in which M'Baku is leading, but has this relationship of deep respect of the Black Panther as Shuri and that Shuri is maturing, that M'Baku is maturing, like that they both get to see each other growing in that way. Um, so I like that possibility. And and um, I'm really sad that they got rid of Queen Ramonda. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm like, that didn't feel like it needed to happen um, anywhere in this trilogy. So I would be curious about what you think that choice was about. Like, why... You know, we already have, we've already lost uh, the Black Panther. And like, I think a lot of, like, I guess for me, it was like, and maybe this is more to your point. Like, for me, it felt like, why go that far for people that we want to have as allies? And um, like, it felt so far. But then, you know, from your perspective, I can see how it's like, that's the reality the reality of the situation is we've done that kind of extreme harm to each other and we have to find a way to still work together on the other side of that um, in long history and short history. Um, And I definitely felt that moment of like, 
show who you are and pushing Shuri to look beyond or beneath the part of her that is only her grief. Um, You know, I think about this a lot, that grief or extreme pain or suffering or illness, there's these things that we struggle through um, that can become such constant companions that the struggle becomes, it feels like our personality. Maybe the struggle can feel like it becomes our value system or becomes the essence of who we are. And what we know about Shuri is that she is this playful genius who's extremely solution-oriented and that she can always find a way, like what is the most logical, strategic way to resolve the problem? That's how she's oriented. That's what she learned to be. And so I like that piece that it's like, actually, even if I am angry with you in this moment for what you've done, which I think, (laughs) I'm like, it's not a forgivable crime. Um, So yeah, I'm just like, that's going to be an interesting ongoing thing. It definitely makes it hard like (laughs) to to ship them because I was just, you know, when they first met, I was just like, okay, this is an interesting chemistry, even though my vibe from Shuri is much more on the queer spectrum. I felt like the energy with Namor could have been hot, which might have been me projecting hotness (laughs) into the scenario. Um, But I'm like, oh, now you just made it so that can never happen. Um, At least where I come from, can't just kill my mom and then kind of date me. So we'll see what happens with that relationship possibility. Um, There's a lot of others and, you know, we know from the past and the fact that the Black Panther had the baby that Panther doesn't necessarily mean celibate. So I'm curious to see if they give Shuri any any relationship um, at any point. And what did you say? Doro. Hell yeah, absolutely. The Doro piece made a lot of sense to me. Just someone who has lived and lived and lived and lived in some way by domination, by conquering. Um, absolutely saw that. And I was really sad that she cut the wing on his foot. Um, I hope there's some way to recover it. So one thing I'm going to call or predict right now is that in the third movie that she finds a way to create a wing for him in her lab and that that is some part of their like full circle healing. And maybe he teaches her some way of being in contact with the ancestors um, that does not require, you know, going through the whole heart-shaped herb process. So these are some predictions for where it could go. And I'm really going to sit with this piece that you said around decentering the white antagonist. And like, there is something really delightful about it being a story where primarily it's happening amongst black and brown people, even if it is this tension, this battle that has to be worked out. And yeah, I can see you. I can see your point, darling, about, you know, what would it look like to live in a world in which Black people had to truly deeply contend with the tensions that live in our legacies with with other peoples of color um, so that we can build a different kind of alliance. I'm interested in it, even though I do think that, you know, it's like putting our attention on building the strength between us, building the depth of relationship between us. Um, But also I'm like, (laughs) I guess for me strategically that I was just troubled by, I'm like, we should not be weakening each other when we know that we're up against the whole world of 
colonizers who were trying to come for us. Like that just felt, feels like, and it always feels in real life, like that is not wise. Like our numbers are not such that we need to be <laughs> um, wasting any of them, any of these highly trained people. Now, I loved the siren song move. And I was like, teach me that one. Um, there was just so much. You know, I loved the pieces of the mouth guards and gill guards that allowed them to have water. Um, yeah, as long as I didn't think too hard about it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Because I was like, that's a tiny sip of water. Um, but <laughs> it worked for them, you know. Um, yeah, so overall, you know, I came away from it again, like, this was beautiful. This was a good movie. It's in the arc. Um, it didn't quite do for me what the Black Panther did, obviously. Um, and in part, that's just the mired and grief component of it. Um, but I would actually love to hear from you if you have predictions of what you think will come next based on what they've laid out for us in this story. And I wonder, I know that this is like, <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about Wakanda forever, but there's another piece of this that I kind of want to bring in, which is also like what makes someone into a revolutionary? Like what makes someone radical? What makes someone willing to fight? What makes someone like hone their own analysis of the situation and really figure out who the problem is? Because I'm like, Shuri is on that journey of like, you know, she's, she knows like, okay, that's the colonizer. We, we know that she has that level of analysis but like, what is her revolutionary take going to be? How is she going to develop that? You know, I felt like that's that's the role that Killmonger was bringing into the first one. It was like, okay, how do we actually get out of these power dynamics? And I'm, that's what I'm curious about for Shuri. And of course, I can't help but think about Andor, <laughs> which is the Star Wars spinoff show that is it, about that period leading up to Rogue One. And it does such a gorgeous, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant job of showing how someone can become a revolutionary thinker and actor inside of imperial conditions. And I feel like this Black Panther series really has that potential to just be like, what, is this, what does this actually look like in this time? So I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on that. Ooh, this conversation is so exciting to me. Um, just to respond to a few of the things that you lifted up. Um, yeah, I, it definitely feels like really disagreeable that Queen Ramonda was killed off. I feel like there's this thing, this, this is a trope that I don't love <laughs> in not just like franchise films like the Marvel movies, but in lots of film projects and creative projects, which is this whole like idea that our parents have to die in order for us to meet our destiny fully or like we don't fully become whatever until our parents pass and that definitely it felt like that to me you know it felt like the oh shorty will lose her mother and then she will become the black panther um but so yeah didn't love that um really hoping that it was just one of those things that happened because angela bassett was like i am like retiring and i'm not signing on for the third film <laughs> You know, I always like to think that that's the reason for something like that, where it's like, oh, this person is just like moving on with her career or whatever. Um, but who knows? Um, I, and on the other hand, I think like there's some 
something in the total loss, like the totality of loss that Shuri is experiencing that also feels very recognizable and familiar to the Black experience specifically, right? So, um, so there's something in this dynamic where we're witnessing too much be being taken from her and um and and then we as the audience have to contend with that that this is too much it's too much grief it's too much loss she's losing everyone and um and it's bitter it's bitter 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 medicine and and to me, where that touches in with my politic is like, yeah, this this is the type of grief that Black folks have been dealing with since we were brought here. <laughs> you know, in many ways, it's like this is what makes the Black community. This is one of the things that forged Blackness, right, was the totality of the types of loss and the rupture in family relationships, the taking, the taking, the taking, right? So even though Wakanda Forever is set in Wakanda, it's not set in Black America. There's something very like Black America about the totality of loss that we witness in Shuri and how she still has to figure out a way to like pick up herself and find her people that are right there around her. She has to find a way to be connected to the people who are still there, create new family and still become, right? So in that regard, it feels again, familiar, recognizable, the, in the unfairness of it and the totality of it. Um, okay, to the queerness and the shipping. Yeah, I also was like, ooh, what's this, you know, energy with Shuri and Nimor. And agree with you that Shuri's energy is super queer. Also felt like Nimor's energy was super queer, right? I was like, hmm, this is nice. Um, yeah, so I definitely felt that the, oh, now you killed her mom, so that's never going to work out. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe that paves the way for some sexy... Dora Milaje, a shooty situation, which, you know, could be cool. Yeah, and then you had named this piece around, you know, you were vibing with my assessment and also feeling that, that twinge of, we still shouldn't be weakening each other when we are facing this incredible threat of the colonizer. And I mean, full agree. Full agree. And this is where the sort of read of, you know, probably not intentional, but the way it felt like, oh, this movie is like reading the left, <laughs> you know, of, of that feeling of, yeah, and this is also what we do. This is what we do. And so in, in watching it unfold where we have to witness and observe ourselves in the ways that we do weaken each other because of our inability to perceive the power that we have or the power that we could have. So to me, the whole thing with Namor is that he doesn't even see himself as allyable. He doesn't see himself as 
in need of alliance. He has to be taught that he needs alliance. He has to be taught that he could be more powerful in partnership with Wakanda than alone because he's so committed to aloneness in his pressurized, dark, underwater empire, right? He's very committed to his aloneness. And even by the end of the film, we still see him like really in a commitment to his aloneness and, you know, that he's still scheming on something that's really just about him and his community, not about the alliance, right? Yeah. But like, that he's still having this transactional orientation to Wakanda of like, no, 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 the reason why we're doing this is because they're going to need us. And and the, imp the thing that's implied there for any of us who are fucking like organizers uh, by background is they will be indebted to us. Their need of us puts us in a power position over them, right? So, so he still hasn't learned the lesson either, right? Because he was forced. He was he was cowed, right? He was cowed into the alliance, but but he doesn't under he still doesn't understand by the end of the film the revolutionary potential of the alliance because he's really still in that narrative that he's alone, that he's fully alone, which is what colonization does, right? Colonization, genocide, and enslavement. The project is the, a project of disconnection, of rupture, of individualism and aloneness that I'm only, I'm only responsible for protecting quote unquote my own. Um, so yeah, so I, I, for me, it still feels very um, reality-based in that regard. Um, love your predictions. The idea of Shuri replacing Namor's wing is interesting. I kind of feel like he needs to just live with that wound, but that's just me. Um, but it's an interesting prediction. And the prediction of Namor find, helping Shuri find a way to commune with ancestors, very cool. My prediction is that I don't think M'Baku will actually end up in leadership. To me, that feels like it would be, I don't like the patriarchy of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, no, Shuri is gonna be the queen. That, that has to be the case. Um, but um, it's so it's interesting to me that they leave that really unclear that Shuri is still a princess when the movie is ending. M'Baku stepping into Vi for leadership, even though he was acting like he was on board and allying with her and ready to be like in followership of her. So yeah, I'm not feeling M'Baku as king. I'm definitely still feeling Shuri as queen or maybe something where the hierarchy is dismantled totally happens, who knows? But yeah, I am, I am predicting that the third film involves a white antagonist, probably someone with powers, perhaps someone from another dimension, because you know a lot of the other recent Marvel films have been dealing with the interdimensionality of the Marvel universe. And actually when we were sitting in the theater watching the previews, there was a preview for like the next Ant-Man and Wasp person movie, and they totally get sucked into another dimension in that, film and then there's like an, a whole empire basically down there. <laughs> um, so I, I think it'll, I think, I don't know if that's too much for them to try to layer onto the Black Panther part of the universe, but it feels like um, very possible that, like I could see a plot line where it's like 
some being comes in from another dimension, allies with the CIA, the CIA is like, yes, awesome. Like we're on board with this because you're gonna help us get what we want. But then it's like a double cross situation. That's, I can see something like that. So we'll, I'm really curious. I'm hoping that we don't have to wait, you know, four more years <laughs> or whatever the length of time was. I'm like, cause I feel like, yeah, the first Black Panther movie I went to see in theaters with my family, like before I even got divorced, like it was a while ago. And I understand they had to take their time because of Chadwick Boseman dying and all the things, but hopefully it won't be that much longer that we have to wait. I'm really glad you named that parent death trope, which I feel like is in Marvel and Disney and all these other things. Maybe it's time for like the death to the parent death trope and just more stories of people, you know, being able to differentiate and fully realize themselves without that devastation, Um, especially for these people who are so young, because I'm just like, there's so many ways to do that differentiation. Um, And I also appreciate you naming the queerness (laughs) because I, I realized something I forgot, which was Michaela Coelho is in this and delicious and queer and but I wanted so much more than that sort of blink and you'll miss it kiss on the forehead kind of queer I really yeah I mean (laughs) which also yields like I keep having the thought that I really need a adults only like an OnlyFans (laughs) spinoff of this so that we can see the name more love scenes so that we can see some of these queer Dora Milaje love scenes and other stuff. I'm also like, um, probably unsurprisingly interested in where the woman King and Black Panther find each other. (laughs) Um, so I just feel like there's some yum. Yeah. Some more queerness, less parental death. Um, and I really have to say, like, I still, I really want the focus of the tension and the conflict to be directed at the actual sources of colonial power. And I'm really moved by how you're talking about the arc of this. So it, in some ways, it's like, you know, if you sing a note and it's like, you don't know if it's the right or wrong note till you know the next note. It feels kind of like that, like movie three will really tell me a lot about what I, whether this arc was moving in the right direction or whether I'm still disappointed. Um, But I do appreciate the idea that like both of these powers, which have accumulated and held onto their power by being isolationist are now coming into a space where like, you know, the power dynamics inside of an isolated space can be very, hierarchical and very much like whoever has the most relative power in that scenario becomes the leader or the god or the one who lasts forever. Like that was the other thing that was unclear to me is I'm like Namor is like a god figure who's living forever but like are all the people down there like also living forever or is it just he's living forever? And I don't think they told us that in the movie. So anyway but yeah this idea that's like in that isolationist thing you end up with like a monarchical family that also gets access to the special heart-shaped herb, right? That's way too much power. So I feel feel like 
having them both be humbled in this film. And then, you know, there's a little loophole of like Shuri traveling by herself without protection. Um, like she can blend in anywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, but the entire world pays attention to everything that the Wakandan leaders do. But I feel like both of them had to be humbled and now are moving through the world in that more humbled, hopefully alliance ready space. Um, and I think there's an opportunity. I don't know if you saw Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Um, that was another one of these like Marvel editions that kind of went off into an adjacent space, but it's still connected. And I feel like it could go that way because that, that one is really doing a lot to challenge like what are the power dynamics and how is the power dynamic upholding harm? And I feel like they did a beautiful job of really like challenging that. So I think that this could be another place. Black Panther could be another one of those spaces where it's like, how about we go straight at what causes harm, which is over isolating, which is letting power accumulate in a certain way that really creates resentment where there should be collaboration. I definitely want them to get rid of the monarchy altogether. <laughs> I think that that would be a really radical move. And I think that that could be a move that's really aligned with how Shuri operates that I think is a, a unique move that she could do. Like she's just like, actually the way I run this lab where everybody is a brilliant specialist who does their work and we come together and like create things. I'm like, how could that transfer into the space of leadership that the heads of these different tribes could actually be working together um, to collaborate and keep themselves alive rather than just having this one power with this one superhero that keeps them safe. It's so vulnerable and it's so lonely and I'm really hoping that they can move. But if they don't, then I also think that the general could become a leader that I would follow <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think we could do, and I'm super down for this if you are, an entire episode on Andor. Because <laughs> I feel like that what makes revolutionaries and really looking at the circumstantial right? That so often people do not become a revolutionary because they're like, yeah, I just woke up this morning and I couldn't wait to fight for freedom. But it's circumstantial. Like I woke up this morning and recognized that my people did not have it. I woke up this morning and the police, you know, pulled my parents over, you know, like for me, I just think about like, what are the early things that like showed me the reality of society and made me want to become a freedom fighter and help me develop a, a nuanced um, and kind of wide ranging analysis that always lands me in the revolutionary space. Like I'm like, when I think it through, I'm just like, oh yeah, no, I have to be a post-nationalist because the, you know, there's just a limit to what a state formed in this way and functioning this way can do. So if you're down, I'm down. Cause I think Andor would be actually a better place to have that conversation or the Andor storyline would be a better way to have it. Um, with this one, it's like, we're dealing with monarchy, we're dealing with utopia, we're dealing with utopia trying to come into relationship with the world as it is right now and hijinks ensuing. I think my final thought is I recommend the movie. I think if you're in the Marvel realm, if you're in the Wakanda realm, I think it's a great movie. I think watching it the second time, I was like, yeah, no, this is actually really enjoyable and really like at the level of a Marvel movie, enjoyable. <laughs> and I'm always trying to remind myself like, don't go to 
a Hollywood Marvel movie or a Disney film or something like that and expect it to suddenly be like a breeding ground of feminist utopia. Like if there's moves where that's coming through, great. But like kind of <laughs> keep the breath together. And I would encourage people to watch it and then discuss. Watch and discuss and like find yourself in the storyline. That's what I keep asking people to do. And I'm like, watch this thing and then find yourself in it. Are you a warrior? Are you a mourner? Are you a singer? Are you royalty? Are you a colonizer? Are you an ally? Are you um, a secret peoples? <laughs> you know, like, where do you fit inside of all this? And really exciting. Um, overall, like, I want, I, I also hope that the movie can, the next film will come at a quicker pace. Um, and I'm interested in like, yeah, some other, like I'm interested in where the source material comes from. You know, like I know that some of the sci-fi writers that I absolutely love have been really contributing to these storylines. So I'm like, I feel like <laughs> go to, go to the like actual black sci-fi writing forces for these storylines. And I think we can get closer to what we want. All right. Um, and yeah, but the fashion be fashioning. And I'm really thinking about how to incorporate more and more looks into my looks. All right. I love y'all, all of our listeners. I love you, sister. And I love processing these things with you um, in long voicemails. And I'm going to go wash this face mask off <laughs> because now I look, um, it's just doing that thing where like, uh, I can't smile. All right. Ciao. Oh, and I also want your final thought. Obvious. Oh, so sorry about the weird sounds. I think that that might be because I had my AirPods in. So apologies, audience, and apologies, Zach, uh, for the places where my voice seems to disappear. Um, okay, my final thoughts on your final thoughts. Uh, yes, death to the parent death trope. Would love to see more parents living to a ripe old age and people becoming without their parents having to die. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, and like a healthy challenge. Like how do you become yourself fully and still interact with your parents? Love the idea of an OnlyFans spinoff of Black Panther. <laughs> that is brilliant. Because yeah, I mean, it's like in order to keep it the, all the Marvel movies, like, can't be more than, like, PG-13 rating, right? In order to satisfy, like, all the audiences that want to see it. And then there's, like, another level of, like, satisfaction that the rest of us are looking for that can't be had at a PG-13 level. So, brilliant idea. Um, one thing to note is that Namor is the only immortal in that crew. And it's, there's something different about his process because he was in his mother's womb still when she ingested the heart-shaped herb, basically. And so that's why it's like he came out with like wings and immortality and something else. Oh, pointy ears, right. <laughs> so yeah, so it basically fundamentally did something to his, The I think the thing we're supposed to understand is that it did something to his DNA that it did not do to the other people. <clears throat> Um, also want to just say that I love 
the invitation to people to find themselves in the story, um, which is such a good invitation for like any work that inspires you. It reminds me of um, when we were being interviewed by Umang for the Possibilities podcast and Umang asked that question, like, is there a beloved character in fiction that you are in loving collaboration with? And to me, that feels like a similar invitation to the find yourself in the story, you know, figure out who you align with in the story and then ask yourself why. Why do you feel so aligned with that character? Why do you feel seen by that? Why do you understand it? So I guess my final, final thought is you should probably write a Woman King Black Panther AU erotica where Okoye meets Naniska. That could be so hot like unreal levels of heat coming off that AU. So just putting it out there. Um, Yeah, I feel like that brings this beautiful exchange to a close. I'm inspired by your act of going to see the movie again. I too would like to go see the movie again, maybe this time with adults. And yeah, I'm gonna see if I can These things are very hard for me to affect in my own life, but I'm going to see if I can. I love you so much, sister. And listeners, we love you so much. Thanks for riding with this voice note, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever debrief.